All right, people, it's game time. I love this video. You know, when we talk about armor up, you know, whether you're watching online or you're here in the auditorium, for the last six, seven weeks, we've been talking about what it means to armor up, what it means to fight against the enemy that is against us. And so today we're going to talk about the tool we have at our disposal to do that battle. You know, for those of you that are watching online, I would just encourage you, you know, be interactive. You know, talk to your online host, you know, as we go through this. And and so, you know, when I think about prayer, you know, over the last six weeks, we've talked about putting on the armor of God. And then as we get to verse 18, Paul talks about now pray in the spirit. Now pray in the spirit. And when I think about prayer, you know, right now, I go back to this story that happened about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, I found myself in Cairo, Egypt. And, you know, I was there with our Asia partner, Mr. F. And, you know, we were there working with some Sudanese refugees. And the pastor at the Sudanese refugee church, he asked if I would come and deliver a message. And so we go that day and you know, the room, it's probably about the size of our overflow room, if you've ever been here on our campus. You know, let me show you a picture of it. And, you know, this room, there's about 200, 250 Sudanese refugees just packed in this room. Now, remember, it's Cairo. It's hot. It's sweaty there. And, you know, you always hear about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And now it's, hey, Steve, the sweaty pastor's coming because it was hot there. But all these people, they're just hungry to hear from God. And, and so I deliver a message, and you know, afterwards, the pastor, he comes up and he says, hey, would you guys do a time of prayer and ministry you know, with the people in this church? And we're like, well, of course. And so you know, we sang a couple more songs, and then um, you know, it came time. And so he had us line up in front of the, in front of the church. And so you can tell by this picture, you know, I'm, st- I'm standing. To my left is Eliana. She's a, a, a young woman from Sudan that's translating for me. And then three feet to my right, here's Mr. F. And when the pastor from Sudan gives the charge for prayer, <laughs> they all came. They really did. Because these people, they're just hungry to hear from the Lord. They're hungry because they know they want the Lord to intervene. And so these people came up. And I'll never forget the lady that was first in line. She, she comes up with her little 10-year-old son. And, you know, her, her son, his hands are, you know, kind of curled in and deformed. And, and the mom, she just has this look of desperation, you know, in her eyes like, you know, we need God to intervene. We don't have means to get medical attention. We need God to act. And so Mr. F, on the other hand, he's got this older gentleman that he's praying for. And so we just start praying. And I close my eyes and I just pray, God, glorify yourself by healing this boy. Do something, you know, for the mother and just give her peace that you're in charge. And so I pray and I pray and then I open my eyes. And this little boy's hands, they're still curled in, deformed. And my heart kind of sank. And I look over at Eliana, and she's just got tears streaming down her face. And I'm like, Eliana, what's the matter? And she goes, it's my grandfather. 
your friend, Mr. F, was praying for him, and he was deaf, and now he can hear. He, he has never heard my voice, and now he can hear it because God healed him. And, you know, people, seriously, I'm three feet away from this, and I'm stunned. I'm watching this, and I see God heal this man. You know, and I, I've seen situations like that. They're real. I was in southwest China, you know, talking to this pastor, and he was born unable to walk. When he was about 30, this woman from the church came and laid hands on him, and he got up and he walked. And then I'm in northeast China, and, and this woman, she's, I don't know, 25 or so, and she tells the story how she was born blind, and this woman came and laid hands on her and healed her. And she could see. And in both stories, you know, I, there's a person there that's like, yeah, I was there. I was there with, with uh, Chun Chun. She was the blind little girl and God healed her. And, you know, and I was able to witness God do something miraculous in healing this grandfather. And when I think about prayer, I think about praying in the spirit. Praying with the power of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the power of God. You know, as, as we've walked through, you know, these first six chapters of, of Ephesians, you know, Ephesians, it's a really interesting book. You know, it's really divided into two parts. The first three chapters are really foundational to the faith. And so if you have your Bibles, you're sitting at home and you have your Bible or your phone, you're here, you know, get your phone out. And, you know, even though we're in chapter six, I want to take you to chapter one, because sometimes we need to hear the whole story and remind ourselves again, okay, what's this story? So in Ephesians chapter one, you know, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. At this time, this was one of the main hubs of faith here in Ephesus. You know, and you got to know, who's he writing this to? In in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers. So he's writing this to the church. Us. You. That's who he's writing it to. And so these first three chapters, Ephesians is a really interesting book because there's six chapters, and it's really divided into two parts. The first three chapters are talking about the foundations of faith. You know, really anchored in Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves so that we can boast. And so these first three chapters talk about the foundations. And then if you flip over to chapter 4, there's a transition that happens. You know, Paul starts chapter 4 with the word, therefore. So when it's therefore, you have to see what it's there for. He's talking about these first three chapters. Because of these faith things, he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You have been called by God. You have been called by God. He's writing to the church. He's writing to us. You've been called by God. And so as chapter 4 continues, in verse 14, he says, don't be like infants. Just, you know, blown back and forth by the sea and the wind. 
Don't be like an infant in the faith. And, you know, that parallel of spiritual infancy and physical infancy is really similar. You know, physical infants, they want to be fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. You know, and somewhere we have to move beyond that is, no, feed yourself. Open God's word. Begin to minister to people. And so as you go to chapter 4, and then as you move on to uh, verse 22, you know, he talks about don't be, don't be an infant anymore. And the question is, so how do you do that? In verse 22, it says, so throw off your old sinful self. Quit living the way you were living and live by the Spirit. And then he, he goes on the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 and begins giving practical ways of how you can grow in your faith. And then chapter 6 comes. And I, I seriously, I feel like this is a general in the army, a football coach. You know, you've been working on your X's and O's. Okay, here's the plan. Here's the strategy. Now, we're just about ready to go out on the field and you go to chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and this is where our last six, seven weeks have been. Because as you're getting on the field, sometimes you got to know who the enemy is. And so in verse 10, I want to read this. It says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Jay Inslee, all those people, they're not our enemy. Satan's our enemy. God calls us to do battle in a different way. And so... In verse 13, again, he uses the word therefore. Because we know this is our enemy, now how do we fight? And here's what he says beginning in verse 13. It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18, where we're landing today. And this is what I want you to hang on to. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains. This is Paul. I'm in chains now still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Here's our enemy, here's the tools, and then he says, and now pray. We fight our enemy on our knees. That's how we do it. We fight our enemies on our knees. And you know, as we uh, you know, move, move through this passage, you know, some of you, I, I don't want to make the assumption 
that you're all followers of Christ in this room. They're watching online. Some of you, you know, you're just trying to figure this out. It's like, is this something I want to be a part of? Some of you are new to the faith. You're, you're just young. You know, this is all new stuff. And some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for years. I've been a Christian for 38 years. I spent the first 16 years of my life living my life until one evening in the cafeteria at Central Valley High School, I put my faith in Jesus. And it changed everything. And so for those of you that are maybe new in the faith, I, I want to explain, you know, a couple things. Because there's some, when we talk about prayer, there's something that happens when you put your faith in Jesus. So I, I want to give you a little theological exercise. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, three things happen. There, there's a few others, but we're going to focus on three things. The first thing that happens is you're forgiven of sin. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Repent, meaning I was walking this way, and now I'm walking this way. I'm doing a 180. I'm not living after what I was living for previously. Jesus has forgiven my sin. You know, and, and that's what scripture says. Though your sins were like scarlet, he makes them white as snow. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're forgiven of sin. The second thing that happens is you are cloaked in righteousness. That Jesus' righteousness covers you. And so that word righteousness means you're in right standing with God. One day you're going to stand before the Lord like we all are in giving an account of your life. And when, when God says, why should I let you into my heaven? What he's going to see when I stand before him, he's not going to see me. He's going to see Jesus' righteousness over me. And that's why he's going to let me in. He's not going to let me in because of what I have done. He's going to let me in because of what a Jesus has done for me. The third thing that happens is the Holy Spirit indwells you. The third person of the Godhead of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. The last words that Jesus spoke, Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected, he's just about ready to ascend into heaven. In Acts 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will have power. And that Greek word for that power, it's called dunamis power. In the New Testament, that word's used about 120 times. And it's the same place we get the word dynamite, dynamic. And it's not power I have, it's power that God's given to me. And it doesn't matter if you're 14 years old or if you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. It's the same power. It's not like there's a junior varsity Holy Spirit you get first. And then, you know, when you turn 25, you magically get all the power. No, you get all the power from the beginning. We just got to walk in the power. And so often we don't. We feel sometimes our faith is it's just lifeless. And it's like, that's not what this book says. You know, and so the question sometimes is this. Do you believe this book is true? You know, if you're at home watching this, this might be a time to interact with your online host. Do you believe this book is true? 
Those of you in the auditorium, do you believe this book is true? I do. I mean, I look at the manuscript evidence. There is no book of antiquity that equals this for reliability. I look at the archaeology that is in this book. There is nothing that contradicts this word. I look at prophetic words that were fulfilled, and it happens. I look at the science in this book, and it's like, yeah. So between the manuscripts and archaeology and the prophecy and the science, I believe this book is true. I believe every word of this is true. And so here's the question. Do you live like it? Do you live like this book is true? Do you live like it? And what I mean, do you filter everything through this book? My relationships, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, my workplace, the use of my home, my thought life, what I fill my mind with. Do I filter everything through this book? That's where the power is. There's power when the Holy Spirit comes. And that's the promise in this book. In this book, there's, there's something that's said from the beginning to the end. It says, pray, 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 pray without ceasing. You know, it says, call to me and I will tell you great and unsearchable things which you do not know. Jesus says, call to me and I will answer. Why don't we pray? You know, I I think about, I don't know what your situation is, you know, for those of you at home, those of you here, what you came in with today. You know, for some of you, maybe it's just this heaviness. Maybe you got sick family members, sick children, You know, maybe you're in a financial stressful situation, a broken relationship. Maybe there's an addiction that you're just struggling with. Jesus says to pray, to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, to pray. But sometimes here, that's our last resort. If all else fails, okay, I met with the banker, I met with the financial counselor, I met with my friend, I met with the richest guy I know, and all those failed, so now I'm going to pray. That's not what this book says. It says, pray without ceasing. Pray first. That's where the power comes. That's where the transformation comes is through that prayer. You know, and as I've been preparing for this message, there's a couple quotes that have just, man, they just resonated with me. You know, and as the first one talking about, you know, prayer is really the exhaling of my spirit and the inhaling of his. And I don't mean that in some hokey new age way. What I mean is I want my flesh and myself out and I want God's spirit in. That's what I want. That's what prayer is. It's this transaction of less of me and more of him. You know, this other uh, uh, quote that I saw, you know, prayer is asking God to align us to his will rather than asking him to be aligned to ours. Because if you're asking God to be aligned to yours, you might as well get a lamp. You need a genie or Santa Claus or something. You don't need God. God's saying, no, conform to mine. What did Jesus say? God, not my will, but yours be done. That's where the power of prayer comes. 
You know, when you're hurting, when you're broken, when you're in need, or you're rejoicing, pray, pray, pray. You know, and, and that's, that's the beauty of prayer. You know, it's really, you know, God, God said we can all pray. And, and I know for me, you know, this uh, time of prayer, you know, I have never felt prayer like I felt this summer. I've been a Christian for 38 years. You know, back in June, I'm going in for open heart surgery. And the night before surgery, we're sitting at our, di- our di- dining room table. And all of a sudden, I see Adam walk past my window. And then I see Dave and Scott and our staff and our elders and home group people. And they circle my house and they pray for this surgery tomorrow. And I just, it was supernatural. I don't know what happened, but I physically felt God's power at that moment. The next day I have surgery, and during surgery I have a stroke. And with the stroke, it lodged back here in the vision cortex. And so I have this thing called hemianopsia that I literally, the left half of the vision in both eyes, there's nothing there. I mean, I, I can't see any, oh, jeez. I can't see any of you guys. You know, Jimmy, I can see you in your house because you're on the right side. That's awesome. But, you know, about a week later, I get from the hospital. My daughter Hannah says, Dad, something's going on at church. And so she runs down to church and she FaceTimes me. And here's like 75, 100 people and they're praying, God, heal Steve. Comfort his family during this time. And again, I mean, it literally has been supernatural that God has so impacted me through the prayers of people. Did he heal my eyesight? No. You know, just before I came down, Dan was asking me, so what did he do? And I said, he gave me new vision. He gave me something that I didn't have before of having just this greater empathy and brokenness for people. He didn't answer it the way I wanted it answered, but I think he answered it the way he wanted to answer it. And I can rejoice in that. And, you know, and that's the piece, you know, as we wrap up. You know, when we think about prayer, you know, so often, you know, we want to be on the asking end, but sometimes we're the answer to prayer. We really are. It was a year ago this week that Dan showed a video with a picture of Ronald, our pastor in Uganda, and this lady, Christine. I'll show you this picture here, you know, in just a second. And, the, you know, Ronald has about 100 widows in his church. He has about 800 orphan kids in his church. And so Dan said, you know, for $3,000, you can build a house. That's one of the houses that got built. Because... These widows are sleeping in mud huts. When it rains, water just goes through the house. They're not safe at night, and these widows are getting hurt. They're getting diseases. And for $3,000 as a church, we stepped up in that weekend, (laughs) $150,000 came in. We just completed the 49th house in Uganda last week. You guys and you guys have been the answer to prayer. You know, and we asked Ronald, Ronald, what's, so what's the deal with the widows? He goes, you know, we have 62 of them that need houses. We just finished the 49th. We had a lady at church have a burden for it. She just raised money for three more houses. She's the answer to prayer for these people over in Uganda. 
Next week, every year at Christmas time, we do this thing called the Joy to the World Offering. Last year, as a church, we gave $160,000 to people in our community and people overseas that is going to directly impact them. <laughs> but just wait till next week when you hear what God's doing in this church for people in our community. Literally thousands of families are going to be dramatically impacted. This is going to be the biggest give in the history of this church. And you guys get to be the answer to what people have been praying for months and months and months in our community. That's the beauty of prayer. And so when we talk about prayer, you know, how about you? How about you? Do you pray? Do you pray faithfully? Do you pray believing? Do you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you pray believing? We serve a God that wants to answer prayer. We serve a God that wants relationship with you and wants to talk to you. You know, do you listen to God? Do you hear his voice? Scripture says the sheep know the shepherd's voice. We can hear him. We can read about him and talk to him. You know, it's the greatest thing that we have. It's the greatest tool we have. That's the awesome part. You know, right now, we are in the toughest time that many of you in your lifetime have ever been through. It really is. This has been a tough season. So here's my challenge for you as we wrap up. In our church, we have roughly 3,000 people that come on a regular basis. Christmas, we have about 6,000. What if? <laughs> Buckle up, because this is for you guys. What if you treated your life like a missionary? Dan asked me this question about two years ago. Steve, if you were a missionary to, to the Spokane area, what would you do? And I would do three things. I thought about this for two years, and I came up with three things. <laughs> First, I would pray. I would pray. Second, I would meet every person on my street, maybe six houses to the right, six houses to the left. The third thing I would do is I would find one tangible way to meet a need of somebody that lives in those 12 houses. That's the challenge. We got 42 days until the end of this year, six weeks. What if you took that upon yourself to meet the needs. If we have 3,000 people in this community saying, I'm in, count me in. I want to minister to these people. It's you. Don't wait for the church to do it. We're just a handful of people on staff. We're the church. The 3,000 of us are the church. So start praying. Start meeting the people and find a tangible way to serve. That's the challenge. And it starts on our knees. Let's pray. God, it seems so simple. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray. God, I pray that we would be a people marked by our prayer life. That we would pray throughout the day. We would pray believing. We would pray for our neighbors. We would pray for our families. We would pray for our situation. We would talk to you. We would listen to you. God, you promise in your word 
that you will hear our prayers. And so God, tonight, we call upon you. Jesus, hear our prayers. People watching online, people here not knowing what their situations are, I pray that you would meet their need, Lord, because you're good. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.